Talk. Now, Cape Town Up and Running is brought to you by the city and Invest Cape Town. And we talk about the various industries and how the city is working with them through the investment hub um, and, and, and the various offerings that they have for business to try and get this economy up and running. It doesn't mean we don't challenge certain things, of course. It's sponsored and we have those conversations and sometimes they challenging conversations as well. Uh, so, for example, if I, if I asked you, if you run an Airbnb, has anybody ever bothered phoning you? Has anybody ever bothered... Um, getting hold of you to see how you can be part of the solution. Because what a lot of people forget is that Airbnbs, um, and there are thousands of them in the city of Cape Town, um, you know, contribute towards the economy. A lot of people prefer using Airbnbs because of the cost structure and also because of the personal attention you get um, and people who, who intimately know the areas in which you stay as opposed to hotels where – it's a much colder experience for visitors to visit, depending on the hotel, of course. But generally speaking, someone standing behind a desk and they do their job and they greet you and they need to make sure that you book in properly. But there's not that warmth and that insight into the, the world around you um, as you would get with an Airbnb. So... We are going to be chatting to Enver Dumini, the CEO of Cape Town Tourism. He's been doing a phenomenal job there, especially with this recovery in partnership with the city of Cape Town and even the promise, uh, the problem, promise, the province. Um, so Enver Dumini, a very good morning to you. Good to have you on the show, sir. Uh, good morning, Kino. How are so, you doing? Ach, lekker, hey? Uh, two days. So I'm much better now. <laughs> <laughs> so, of course, I mean, COVID-19 has had a devastating effect on businesses in Cape Town, especially the small businesses. Um, and now more than ever, businesses are at a loss when it comes to looking for support and how to rebuild. Um, now, as part of Cape Town Up and Running, as I said, with this particular ca- campaign we're doing with the city of Cape Town, we spoke to James Foss on Monday about the struggling tourism sector. And today we are joined by the CEO of that sector in the Western Cape. He also sits on the board, I would imagine of essay tourism in the Dumini officially sir good to have <laughs> you with us now um, there, there's some exciting campaigns on the go and we'll talk about those I just wanted to raise the Airbnb side of things at the moment you know as, as uh, I, I was looking at and I'm going maybe what Airbnb is, is, is they should do their own thing where they turn their Airbnbs into business hubs closer to the homes of people, where on a regular basis, if someone wants to do work from home, they could maybe go to the Airbnb as a business person and rent that Airbnb to do their work from on a daily basis. So, Because I've heard very little, and Airbnbs have been excluded by the looks of it, and I might be wrong, out of the greater scheme of tourism things. Um, well, Kina, I think you, 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 from a national perspective, um, if we go back to the president's speech, he, he was specific in excluding Airbnb um, from this opening. Yeah. And um, like many of us in the sector, we are actually waiting on the detail of the regulation so that yeah. we can ourselves understand what the reasons are. Mm. Um, but I also think if you look at Airbnb, uh, they have been working quite closely with government in this province um, in offering uh, accommodation for essential service workers, um, for quarantine sites, etc. So they have been yeah. part of, of that. So um, let's wait and see what that reason is. And I know Airbnb is asking um, the presidency for clarity around the exclusion. 
Um, but as Teton Tourism, we've actually worked with Airbnb quite closely. Mm. Um, Valma, who heads up Airbnb in Africa, is yeah. uh, one of my ex-colleagues. Um, and even in the scenario planning session we held about uh, two weeks ago, um, led by Chantal Ildry, who yeah. is a regular on your show, yep. uh, Airbnb was part of that conversation Great. because we understand the importance of everybody being in in the conversation putting our heads together because this affects the entire destination. Mm. And it's about the collaboration in finding solutions that will work for all of us. Absolutely. I also, yeah. So from a Cape Town Tourism perspective, I mean, we collaborate and we work with everyone in this value chain. Um, and we know that there will be value in us working together. I think the challenge for us um, is when are we going to open? And then what is the pace that we're going to have to open up while minding, um, you know, the safety issues and protocols that we need to have in place to provide that confidence to travelers. Brilliant. Now, there are some exciting campaigns on the go. Let's talk about some of them. Well, I think the first campaign that we, 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 we initiated actually during lockdown and we continue with. So a lot of the campaigns that we started during the lockdown phase, we continue with because, I mean, as you know, as an experienced communicator, it, there's an old expression, um, I don't know if you know, it's called the, the shampoo and conditioner principle. Basically, if you read the back of a, of a shampoo bottle, it says to you, for best results, rinse, repeat. And that's what communication is. I think sometimes we forget that we run a campaign, but we need to continuously communicate it. And as Captain Tourism, we started a few campaigns um, during the lockdown. The first one was what we call seeing is believing. And that campaign was where I was actually having um, online interviews with uh, different leaders within the tourism sector as we just went into lockdown. Um, and some of the interview questions would be around um, what is their perception of lockdown? How long will it last? What are they doing in the interim? Um, and the leaders would be everyone from kind of big corporates, hotels, airlines, etc., but also guys that are running SMMEs, whether in Kailicha, which was playing Google Air because I think what we mustn't forget is that even though they may, may have running a small business, they are a leader in their business. They are dealing with a lot more complexity sometimes. And, and it's about taking that information and sharing it with mm. everybody through our digital platforms. Mm. Because I think that's how we learn from each other. We, we can see that someone else is going through a problem. We don't feel alone. But we can also share what are the solutions, what are our thoughts of how we are dealing with lockdown, COVID-19, et cetera, and hopefully apply that back into our businesses. So what we are doing is we're continuing with the Seeing is Believing campaign. Um, and this time what we will be doing is we'll be asking um, the same guys and a few others, um, has your optimism at the start of lockdown turned into complete pessimism? If so, why? What are you doing about it? How have you um, pivoted your business? Have you done something else? Um, some amazing things that have happened in Kailicha where um, one of the uh, tour operators actually started becoming a delivery service for the community. So what yeah. they've done is they've pivoted their business. And I think the, the difficulty is for the bigger guys, how do you pivot your business? You've given an example of saying perhaps Airbnb could look at you know, creating these business hubs using the infrastructure and the technology. So I think that's the, the thing that COVID-19 has done has forced us to really look at our businesses and what we do as Captain Tourism, we interview all these business leaders, we share their insights, their lessons, et cetera, so that hopefully someone else can, can hear it, see it, and believe it and hopefully apply it in their business. How many, how much, talk, you see, on the, on the one end, and I love those, I saw those, by the way, really awesome. Um, how, how much time is actually spent talking to the ordinary South African on the ground and getting the understanding from their perspective, what they would like to see, what they would be happy with? Um, well, for, yeah. yeah. 
So funny enough, Kina, we actually um, are just finalizing a, uh, a visitor survey. Well, actually a South African survey. So what mm. we've done is we ran a poll for two weeks online yeah. where we asked South Africans from all over to give us their views by completing a survey on you know, their propensity to travel, their willingness to travel, mm. what their concerns are, how lockdown has treated them. Um, and, and some of it, I mean, we even asked for, for comment from them. And some of it is exciting where they're saying that they are still willing to travel um, as long as the safety protocols, social distancing, etc. But there are mm. others where they say, you know what, I have to prioritize um, fees. Um, I have to uh, prioritize other more essential things than travel. So this gives us a better understanding into the psyche of the South African traveler, but also saying, by understanding that psyche, how can we communicate better with them? How can we address some of those mm. concerns? Mm. Um, and that means that we're actually using insights and intelligence in a smart way in making decisions for the yeah. sector, rather than just talking and saying, let's promote for the sake of promotion. Yeah. That is uh, something that we've moved away from for a long time. Yeah. I'm also, you know, you know, I'm a big fan. I talk about it all the time of design thinking, and um, you know, so so research is great, uh, but to and you also can't put a lot of people in a room, um, but you can run webinar type design thinking processes where you chat to people from across the globe who've been in similar situations, um, you know, ordinary people that you are trying to con- uh, you, you you're trying to get into the loop, like South ordinary South Africans that were excluded by pricing in the past. Um, and, and get everybody's insight and then create a point of view as to how you can then innovate going forward, you know, iterating until you come up with something that absolutely works. Um, you know, I think that, that type of process is very helpful as well. Uh, Kino, I, I don't know whether you've been kind of sitting in, in our office somewhere virtually and overhearing <laughs> <laughs> our conversation. But funny enough, I mean, we work with Richard Perez and the team of the School of Design. Yes. Um, out in the VNA waterfront. Yeah. And um, we've been in partnership with them for, for a while. In uh, Sometimes we give them a problem we face as an as a organization or as a sector. Mm. And then they apply the design thinking principles with uh, yes. corporates, et cetera, who come up with solutions. Wonderful. And one of it, funny enough, was around travel mm. safety mm. Um, just before lockdown. And, and simple things that came out of it was, you know, communicate to the traveler. Because I think a lot of destinations are so fearful of telling the traveler, don't go here, go there, because we're afraid that they're not going to, that if something happens, that we're going to be liable. Mm. But what every single traveler said that was interviewed was saying, rather tell me where the hot zones are. Yes. I can make an informed decision where it is. And someone else then said, why don't you just put that messaging on a bottle of water, on something simple in multiple languages so that I can understand. Use infographics, simple communication. Mm. And we said, wow. You know, so sometimes it's the simplicity of the message exactly. and how you deliver it. And that's where design thinking has been instrumental. And we'll definitely be working with the team again um, as we implement our uh, bounce back plans. They are a phenomenal team, without a doubt. I mean, that's part of the, I mean, Hasso Platner, obviously, School of Design, the D school is what you're talking about. Um, okay. So where do, where do you see the, 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 the future of tourism going? And, I mean, can we... Uh, you know, include locals more cost-effectively permanently. So, Kina, I think that's the one thing that, that COVID-19 has almost, you know, given us a good lesson in, again, as tourism in yeah. Cape Town. Yeah. 
Not like you haven't had the lesson. Not like all of you haven't had this lesson before with everybody <laughs> phoning into shows and going, your hotels are so expensive. I can't afford to travel in my own city. <laughs> you know, I, I think you, you are right to some point, And sometimes I have to be checked uh, because, you know, yeah. Yeah, I like to smoke as well within the sector. <laughs> is that um, part of, of what we've learned um, through the water crisis and now the yeah. COVID-19 is the fact that we, we, we mustn't disregard our domestic market. And I think for a long time, the pricing has been geared towards international because the yield is there. They stay longer. They spend more in relation. But the volumes are coming from domestic. And um, how we've built to that level of international success was on the back of domestic tourism. Because we all started out in domestic tourism. And Cape Town is no different. Um, And if you look at the events we host, it's a lot still stronger on the domestic side. So I think for us, we mustn't forget that. And the, the, the sector has realized it again. Um, and I think for us, one of the things that I've also learned is that we mustn't forget that people that come and travel here have saved up for a long period of time. They travel great distances to come here to stuff it in our backyard. And I think we mustn't forget that. We almost assume mm. that everybody that travels has got lots of money. When in fact, it could be the only trip of their lifetime that they saved up for years. And we mustn't forget that as South Africans, we don't really have a strong savings culture for stuff. We have this thing about immediate gratification. Um, and sometimes if we want to do that and we want to experience what others save sometimes a lifetime for, mm. what stops us from doing the same? And I think there's some yeah. innovative products, whether I look at the guys at Tebet Tourism, um, who've come up with kind of a lay-by scheme, whereby you could actually lay by your holiday and put money away towards it. So in in fact, there are some innovative Mm -hmm. guys that have come up with some amazing products um, in the space. Yeah, I mean, there was a young dude who we hosted, when was it, Joe, years ago. Joe wasn't even with me, who started this particular concept. Um, you know, it didn't go off so lacquer then, but I think it would have been, it would have been so much better now. And then, of course, the bigger people like Tebe Tourism get involved in it as well. Um, so, and then how much time is actually, you know, spent with the big players? Because when I hear discussions around who we're talking to, it's always the big companies. It's always the ones who have, you know, who, who do business with, with everybody else. You know, um, um, how much time do, the, the suits in, in tourism and all over the place, quite frankly, actually spend with micro enterprises who can also add value to the discussion instead of just seeing them as a business that will be providing a service to their micro little whatever it is that they supply it to. So you know me. I always ask yeah. these questions, right? So, um, because the, the tendency is, and we had this when the premier started putting a council together. Once again, it's everybody who started a big business like Discovery or someone who's been involved in and who's always in the newspapers. So the people go back and they use the same old, same old. Mm. You know, I, I think you, you're right. They're not doing enough. And that's why what we've done is Cape Town Tourism, we've done two things. We've created what we call the Board Development Fund. So basically, our board is comprised of majority the bigger bigger players, but there are a few smaller players as well yeah. um, in order to find that balance. And the Board Development Fund was purely created in saying, as directors, we don't get paid for our contribution in assisting the sector and the organization. Yeah. That money we would have received, we put into a pot, we double it, and then what we do is we use that money then to fund SMMEs. 
Mm. But we don't just give them the money. We also then open up our network and our doors. Mm. And that becomes an opportunity of how do you actually grow those businesses. The second thing we've done is what we call ICASI neighborhood sessions, Mm. which we've now taken virtually. So basically what we have is we have regular session with SMMEs where we have the bigger guys have a conversation, not a lecture, not saying I'm wonderful and I do all these great things, look at our success. <laughs> it's a conversation yeah. because one of the things we found in actually people starting to talk, they get to understand and know each other. And they are surprised by the fact that um, there's someone in uh, Langa or Guguletu that's got, has been 20 years in the business that has seen so many changes and how they pivoted their business by simple ideas, but by fully understanding the tourism landscape. And I think for us, it's those nuggets by allowing for conversation to happen. And this is where digital has played a phenomenal part in connecting us in a seamless way mm. than trying to get people into a room, which has always been a struggle of saying, how do I get yeah. you know, the CEO of this company to engage with the small guy yeah. uh, in his neighborhood? And we found it very difficult. But what technology has done is almost, you know, kind of circumvented that and short-circuited that. So they actually have conversations now on a weekly basis. Mm-hmm. And I think, yeah, I think the reason I raise that is because if, if we, we, we talk about this economy, and I know you are, you know, I, I, there have been lots of CEOs of Cape Town Tourism. They've all been really good people. The one thing you have been driving quite a lot, though, as a CEO has been, you know, the small enterprise development side of things. I mean, by, by default, a lot of the people who you represent are small enterprises in any case, micro enterprises in some instance. But, you know, when organizations of yours use service providers, and, and that is why, and, and this is true for any yeah. other business out there. And you, you compare that to, let's say, what potentially gets done in, in a Silicon Valley, where the smaller disruptive businesses are trusted to actually bring solutions that the suits, and I'm not, I say suits, suits have brilliant value. They deliver great yeah. value. But I think it's the balance between the two. When the person who, doesn't necessarily speak the business lingo, but understands human beings and has the technical ability to iterate something until, you know, they've got something which is mind blowing and might even disrupt, maybe not just disrupt, maybe it just innovates, um, you know, and bring those to the fore. We don't make enough spaces for those type of people generally. And if you're a small business, I'd like you to call in throughout the show. You know, do the bigger guys even pay attention to the value offering that you have? And that is the key question. But I think you've answered it uh, perfectly there, Enver. Anything else in closing? I mean, what, what, what is your hope when it comes to this adjustment budget that Uncle Tito is going to be doing a bit later? Ah, oh, it's uh, a difficult question, Tito. You know, I, mm. I think uh, what, what I've learned now during this last couple of months is, is that I – you know, whatever happens has to happen. I can't preempt. I can't think. The only thing I'm in it. control of is how we're going to react as Cape Town Tourism and my team. And I think what we've gone through is probably, hopefully, the worst of it. Mm. But we cannot become complacent because one of the things that we are really concerned about yeah. is um, the second wave. We mustn't forget yes. about that. We're seeing lots of other destinations beginning to reel from kind of opening up too soon or irresponsibly sometimes. Um, and I think one of the things that we found in, 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 in South Africa and even the people that we have interviewed in our survey is saying they are proud of how we've uh, implemented the lockdown. However, there needs to be a better easing in order to find the balance between life and livelihoods. Absolutely. And that's what we're hoping you know, is at least announcing some form of economic relief that allows us to at least stimulate and keep businesses alive. 
Now, you're chatting to listening to at least. Um, you could be chatting to him if you want to call in and ask him a question or two. Uh, to Enver Dumini, um, it's like one of the chillest, coolest, um, most intelligent people you'll meet. Uh, he won't tell you that he's a computer scientist, actually. Um, but we don't talk about those things on radio, do we? Um, no, we don't. Uh, Enver Dumini wrapping up with us this morning. Um, my team tells me we've got a voice note or two. Let's take a listen, bro. Joe? Hi, Ken. How are you? Very good. It's William here. Just a quick one, man. Um, no, I don't always agree with you. Uh, actually, most times I don't agree with you. <laughs> Just good. Kind of sentiment and so on. But, you know, there's one thing that I really admire for is always pumping micro, medium, and small business. Mm. And these guys that come on your show, you know, they just don't give you the right answers. There's just no commitment. They always go for the big corporates. It always ends up in the hands of the big wolf. So um, that's something that, that really, you know, that must frustrate you as a, as a small business punter. And maybe you must think around that somehow get, I don't know, get a think tank together as to how we can really physically force those things down the chimneys and the channels of the micro and small businesses because we small businesses always end up with a little crumbs not that we want the big pie but split the big pie but more evenly among small businesses then to give 90% to the the big corporates and then the little crumbs to 10,000 small little micro enterprises just a thought Thank you, and I'm glad you don't agree with me most of the time. I said, Bliff, if we all agree to be a really boring show. So I hope, I hope a lot of people don't like what I have to say. So that's a great thing for starters. And second of all, yes, um, and, and, and it, it's unfortunate. There's still a perception in this world that if you've got an MBA and you've got a fancy university degree and you went to a university with a great title and you have that degree, you have and and you end up in a big corporate. The corporates, the big corporates are the ones who give us the current Gini coefficient that we have in the country. Right? Because they maximize their profits. It's all about the shareholder value and very few of them. And I even challenged my good friend Bola Mahale, chairman of Bidvest, to do more from a small enterprise development perspective. If you actually spend time chatting to people in micro enterprises and you listen to some of the ideas, not ideas preconceived, looked at what happened in the past and try and change it a little to make it relevant to the present. People who actually think out of the box, think with their hearts. I think they've got a lot to offer and my challenge is always for bigger businesses to take them more seriously. Like on this Airbnb thing, I mean the one thing I'm chatting to a tech team about is how does one take some of those businesses that exist away from Airbnb and how do you create a BBNB? A business BNB where people can utilize, and even in times of of lockdown, etc., um, you 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 put specific cleaning teams in in place that are specialists in in deep cleaning and getting rid of viruses and making sure that uh, you know uh, places are sterile. And how do you actually then take the fight to an Airbnb directly? Because we always have to test assumptions. Enver. Closing words from you. Uh, you know, I think just uh, to what William had said, you know, I, I agree. This, you know, we need the smaller guys. 
um, and the micro enterprises to be engaging with the bigger guys. But what I think the guys, the micros mustn't forget is to work with each other. Sometimes there is yes. a crab mentality of them fighting over the crumbs yeah. instead of putting the crumbs together and making a bread. Mm. And, and, and this is where I think, you know, by using the, the numbers, they can start negotiating on scale because that's the only difference. So I do think that there's an opportunity, but it requires them to come together, organize themselves in a way that they can collaborate. And then kind of scales of economy start playing out and that reduces their costs and everything else. Um, because if you're going to wait for, for the big guy to come in and, and, and engage with you, you can wait forever. The big guy's focus is elsewhere. So one thing that, that, that um, you know, I've always learned um, is that sometimes you, know, you, you, you want to um, grow your business but you keep looking at the big guy as the example of no, that's how it must happen. Exactly. But one of the fundamental things that we need to do is make sure that entrepreneurship is standard in schooling from, from primary school right through. We mm. only start getting this in, let's say, private schools, Model C schools, we're not teaching you. But that needs to be a fundamental in every single school because mm. the more we can teach that and educate and allow people to do it, whether they leave at standard six or standard seven at some stage, they've learned entrepreneurship. And that will hopefully set them on a better foot where yeah. they don't really need the business qualification and maybe the school of hard knocks. But they are brave enough to take that step without sitting and waiting for handouts from government through yeah. um, grants, etc. Yeah, no, exactly. But I think, I mean, my suggestion to smaller enterprises would be to get together and disrupt big business. So disrupt mm-hmm. the hotel industry. Disrupt, disrupt BNB. So you see what happens when you disrupt? They all end up running to government for legislation because now they want to be protected. Um, I would encourage small businesses to come together, put their skills together, look at what's not working in existing models and see what they can do to disrupt it. And, you know, we, we need brave people out there. But Enver, we, this is another conversation we need to have, but it's so lucky having you on the show.